Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And we got a more full show planned than normal because we have some basketball to talk about. We have football, of course. We're going to talk to our good friend Michael Lev. Love having him on the program to talk about Arizona football. Maybe a little baseball, too, because that's happened. But, Brett... Technically, we could say it's basketball season. I, I, I mean, technically, <laughs> technically, if you want to call if you want to call the red blue game the official start of basketball season, then sure. Um, you know, I think it was the least hyped red blue game I can recall, or even back in the days when they did Midnight Madness. Uh, I remember going to that when I was in, mm-hmm. in school and we were there. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was it was fun. We we watched it together. Get to get a little sense of how much players have grown. See some of the newcomers. Not not all of them. Pell Larson's still kind of recovering, even though he looked like he was moving pretty well for a guy that was hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was better than I do, but, and I'm not injured. Yeah. So, if nothing else, uh, at least the it's it's about to be basketball season anyway. Uh, cop out answer for Arizona football is upon us, uh, <laughs> and not so much in the distant future. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's tough to take a lot from the red and blue game. It's like it's like anything. It's tough to take anything away from a scrimmage or from even preseason games, right? Like if Arizona football, for instance, was playing was decent, or we expected them to be good, and they played a terrible team and won in the first three weeks, like okay, that's fine. They did what they're supposed to do. It's even less so in a scrimmage, um, but. It is nice to see them on the court. And there's, I'll be honest, there's so many new players on this team. It was like 11 new faces on this team or something where they're coming out from the introduction. I'm like, I don't recognize that guy at all. And it's not just because some of the guys had freshman to sophomore year, they bulked up, they got a little bit stronger. It's just there's so many new faces on this team. And yet the ones that Arizona's ostensibly going to rely on is Ulus Tibels. He looked good, right? Ben Matherin looked pretty good. Dalen Terry looked athletic. He won the dunk contest. Like <laughs> He looked stronger. And these are players where, again, you, how they played, eh, it's a scrimmage. They weren't playing the best defense. They probably, I think, time related, said they practiced like that was like their fourth practice together. So it's not like this is a team that's in midseason form. But in terms of the roster construction, they have athleticism. They have length. They have a couple of bigs in Coloco and Balo who Coloco looked bigger, and Balo is just a monster. The roster itself looks pretty well built. Hey, it put some respect on Kim Aiken's uh, name, Adam Green. Oh, he, he had, is great. <laughs> he, he, if he plays, the the biggest shock of that whole time was maybe his three point shooting because he was not known as a you know he made three point shooters or shots in the past, but it was more like a twenty nine thirty percent career three point shooter. Apparently, he's been spending a lot of time working on that. And boy, if he uh, if he can 
add that to his repertoire, he's going to see a lot of minutes if he's also, a, you know, he can be a true 3 and D with a, a guy that can rebound as well. There's a lot of value there. No, absolutely. And hopefully he has actually worked on and gotten to be that good of a three-point shooter because, yeah, if he is that good from a three, that doesn't even matter if he's a great defensive player. He seems like a type of guy who will be on the floor <laughs> in this offense. But also he does have the reputation of being a hard-nosed, defensive player whether he's a stopper or not he's going to be useful on that end of the court if he can be a three-point shooter on the other then you have yourself something but I I guess the biggest question marks for this team of course are going to be the point guard play and Kirk Carissa his shot wasn't great you could see he looks like a point guard out there but also this is not exactly running the offense that we're going to see a month from now two months from now when they start playing games that count so you know if you had questions about this team going into the scrimmage well, you should still have those questions. Nothing was answered. But, you know, it's basketball. It's nice to see him out there playing. Hey, Kirk Carissa did not look like he was lacking for confidence in no. uh, pulling a quick trigger <laughs> on some shots in that exhibition. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, the big takeaways were Kim Aiken obviously wins the Siddiqui Johnson Award that everyone jokes about, the guy that looks great in the uh, scrimmage game, that we'll see how it, you know, it, how it translates to the season. Um, the big one of the big surprises for me was Adama Ball looked big and athletic, and he's yeah. like what he's not. I don't even know if he's 18 years old yet. He's like a young or like he's like a really young guy for a, a college freshman, and he looked like a guy who's going to be potentially a problem um, as he kind of keeps you know physically maturing. Um, and Dalen, speaking of physically maturing, Dalen Terry looked a lot more confident and a lot more. Uh, built, shall we say, where he might be more capable of being a more complete all-around player, and I think he might be one of the critical guys where this season's success swings on. Mm -hmm. um, his ability to be a threat offensively and a potential defensive stopper, uh, but it, you know, you need him to also be a guy that can facilitate. Even if he's not looking to score all the time, he can be a playmaker, uh, and that might be a nice fit in this roster. Yeah, and one guy who people are kind of curious about the fit was Kristen Coloco, who he was dunking with some authority in this game. He was playing his size, right? There are certain bigs where you're like, ah, oh, what are you doing? Dunk the ball. Don't lay that in. He was blocking shots. He was dunking. He shot six of ten free throws, and that's something where we remember as a freshman how bad of a free throw shooter he was. And six of ten isn't amazing, but if he can shoot 60% from the line, he's going to be a double-double type of guy. This He's going to be able to play 25, 30 minutes and score some points because he is big, and he's quick for his size, and he showed strength that he hasn't necessarily shown the last couple of years, which makes sense. He was very raw when he got to Tucson, and now he finally had his first true offseason with the program with the strength and conditioning and all that. He is showing the growth there, so that was exciting to see. But, yeah, I think uh, Dale and Terry showed that too. Aiken was obviously really good. Uh, Noel, freshman, but you mentioned Ball. The funny thing is, and we were talking about it on Saturday, Brett, was just when was the last time Arizona had a prospect who came in who you're like, okay, in three years' time, he's going to be great. And you have every expectation of them being there for three years. Because usually Arizona would have a, a four- or five-star prospect. Like, yeah, they're going to be one and done. Maybe you get two years out of them. Fine. But Adele Ball's that rare guy where I don't, I don't know if they're going to redshirt him this year. I don't know if they're going to need to. But the expectation is that he's going to have a very minimal role, if any, at all this season. But a developmental prospect, the likes of which Gonzaga has had over the years, but Arizona has not had, it's going to be interesting to watch his growth within this program because it's something that Arizona hasn't really seen in a long time. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, I've thought about it a little bit since you mentioned that when we were watching the game together, Adam. I think I have a, the right answer for the last time there was a developmental guy that went from fringe prospect to like potentially 
you know, NBA type talent in three, four years. And the it's not the same position, but Jordan Hill might be the last one I can really think of that actually developed um, and and became a guy that was I think he, did he end up being a lottery pick? I can't I can't recall. Yeah, he did. But, yeah. Um, after his freshman year, you would have never thought it necessarily. You'd have said, "Hey, he is a good lot as of a freshman, potential." Jordan Hill. He wasn't lottery pick good. <laughs> no, no, and I don't remember what type of recruit he was. I know that was like the mid two thousands when recruiting and everything was a little bit different. But no. that's the thing. Like even Ball, I think they rated him as like a four star. But he's the type of four star where there's you don't know. And again, Arizona's not expected to rely on him now. If he came out and was just better than anticipated and could help them win games, then I'm sure he'll play. If he's just that far ahead of schedule, why would you see? Why would you let him sit on the bench, right? But you know, to to see a player like that who has the frame, it's like yeah, give him a little bit of time in this system, learning this game, getting stronger, like we've seen with Coloco, for instance. Like give Ball just an off season or one full calendar year in the U of A program, and what can he be? And that's just so tantalizing, because yeah, he looks like he could be this, a star. Now he has a long way to go. And just because he has the size doesn't mean he's going to be that type of player. But it's going to be really fun to watch him develop over the next couple of years within the program. Because like I guess I don't. You mentioned Jordan Hill. That's fifteen years ago, thirteen years ago. It's been a long time since Arizona's had a player like that. And granted, like Derek Williams was not super highly thought of, and two years later he was the number two pick in the draft. But this is different. Derek Williams played as a freshman. He started as a freshman. Whereas a Donald Ball, again, if he sits, if we see him play no more than 30 minutes this entire season, then that's a success. And that doesn't mean he's not thought of highly within the program. It doesn't mean they don't see a future for him. Just It's a type of player. It's a type of project that Arizona hasn't had. And now it looks like they have that guy, and it could really pay off. Yeah, when thinking from a roster construction standpoint and with the uncertainty of things like the IARP and recruiting with that kind of lingering over your head, you know, it's probably a safe bet that Ben Matherin's not coming back on the wing. You know, Dale and Terry looks like he could take a leap. I don't know if it'll be enough to be able to leave early, but you see somebody like a Dom Ball that could be like, oh, maybe they maybe you don't have to have that recruiting class next year because he's a guy who could step into that role in a, in a more expanded, prominent spot next year. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, boy, look at from his highlight videos, he looks like he's put on you know 40 pounds of weight and still kept all the quickness and skill and. You know, we'll see how he develops, but you know, all in all, um, you watch that, and I feel fairly confident that it's going to be a pretty darn good team. I think mm-hmm. the a big un, unknown. I think we're both confident in Tommy Lloyd as just a coach and an X's and O's guys or a guy, but we don't know until we see it. Um, and even when he's on the recruiting trail, you know, he can tell kids what the system is. He's going to run all he wants, but until we see it on the on the court and see how they perform we just don't know um but the talent is there for arizona to have a very entertaining and kind of i think a pretty good season if it all plays out right yeah yeah they and they still have question marks again point guard kirk carissa hasn't proven he can run the point effectively and after him you have kyer who's really more of a combo guard right like you have dalen terry who is not really a guard but you don't have a lot of players who you can be like okay that's the point guard and that's could be important in this offense but we haven't seen it yet Right. And that's what you were saying, too. And I I've seen some reports as well that the recruiting trail hasn't gone. It hasn't been as fruitful as in years past. But there's so many questions that it's not so much doubt. I don't think it's questions with this team, with Tommy Lawyer. People believe that he could be the guy, that he's going to do a good job in Tucson. He's going to be able to recruit, that he's going to have a good offensive system, that they're going to score points. It's going to be free flowing, but they have to see it. You know, and that's the difference, I think. It's that's where they're at. So. 
you know, I think Arizona basketball, men's basketball, they need the season to start in some ways because it just allows for the program to they, – they reset things when they fired Sean Miller and hired Tommy Lloyd, but now it gets going, right? Because it's all it goes from the hypothetical to the reality, and that they need, assuming it's good. <laughs> if they come out and they're bad, then it goes the other way, but I don't think too many people anticipate that being the case. Yeah, it's – it's not just Arizona basketball that needs the season to start. I think Arizona fans need the basketball season to start so we can feel better about winning some games. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. We're recording this on October 5th, Tuesday, October 5th, which is a full two years, two calendar years since Arizona's last victory in football. So that's a fun little anecdote and one that I don't think anyone expected on October 5th, 2019, when Arizona beat Colorado to go to 4-1 and one and be in sole possession. I think it was 4 yeah, of first place in the Pac-12 South like those were that was the high point of the Kevin Sumlin era and the high point of Arizona football for the last two years <laughs> oh yeah. so after all that fun talk about basketball we will transition to football let's take a break Brent and we come back we're going to talk to Michael of the Arizona Daily Star to get his thoughts on just Arizona football we'll probably sneak in some baseball too since they had an exhibition over the weekend but yeah let's talk to Michael Love after the break Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. We are joined by Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, good. We're recording this, we said earlier, on Tuesday, October 5th, which makes it two calendar years since Arizona last won a football game. They have a chance this week, though. They're hosting UCLA, and this is off the bye week. And the last time we saw Arizona, they were playing a competitive game against Oregon. You could argue that they had a chance to win that game five interceptions notwithstanding. Either way, it was a nice effort from the Wildcats against Oregon. It's now been a little more than a week since that happened. They've had some more practice. They've had some more press conferences. What have you learned about the team? I guess what's changed or what's the deal with the Wildcats football team now in a week leading up to UCLA? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the quarterback situation seems to be settled for the time being anyway, and it was very unsettled heading into the season. I mean, it's kind of been unsettled since that Colorado game two years ago, really. <laughs> if you think about it, um, you know, Khalil Tate was the best passing game of his career. And then the next week he goes out against Washington and it was maybe the worst game he's ever played. You know, they blitzed him like crazy. Um, he ended up getting pulled. Then it was the back and forth with him and Grant Gannell. And then last year obviously was a really weird year in a lot of ways. You know, Grant Gannell was the starter going into the season, and then he ended up getting injured against UCLA, the team that they're facing this week, and Will Plummer came in. 
Then Ganell transferred. Red Rodriguez also transferred. They bring in two new guys. Um, and we've had three starters in four games this year. <laughs> but it seems like it's going to be Jordan McLeod now for at least the foreseeable future, barring a catastrophe or an injury of some sort. And we'll see how that goes. So, Michael, I've got, since we've got you, I really want to pick your brain on the things we've seen in the first four games and what that means going forward. So, you know, we're sure. settled on a quarterback now. I'm, I'm very curious to understand your perspective of where this team is today. You know, we've seen them be competitive against a very good Oregon team, a pretty darn good BYU team, and maybe San Diego State was better than we all anticipated going into that game, but we also saw them lose uh, inexplicably to NAU. And I think the the big story from the Oregon game, in my perspective, aside from maybe having the quarterback, is the, the line play, especially on the offensive line, looked considerably improved. And my question for you was, as it relates to that, which which O line is is coming to play against UCLA in the rest of the season, and, and how much does that change the trajectory for this team as they as they go into the, the last two thirds of the season? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I talked to Brennan Carroll today, or we talked to Brennan Carroll today at the media availability, and I asked him about that, like what was the difference, and he mainly cited just the different offensive approach that they took to that game. Uh, they basically flipped what they had been doing in terms of run-pass ratio, where they had been very heavy pass. They were heavier run. They rushed, what, had 53 rushing attempts, I think, in that game, and 36 passing attempts, I want to say, something like that. Um, and it had basically been the other way around. Um, obviously, they executed a lot better in the running game. Um, they were gaining a decent chunks um, it wasn't like amazing. I think they, they ended up averaging somewhere around four yards to carry. But to me, that's just a better approach uh, when you have questions at quarterback, when uh, running back is your deepest position group, um, when you would like to be a tough physical team, which Jed Fish said he wanted to be on the first day that he had the job, right? Um, I don't know why it took them so long to kind of figure it out. I don't know why they couldn't have done that against NAU. Will they be able to do that against UCLA? I don't know. No one had run on UCLA until ASU last week. And ASU had a lot of success. And I asked Brendan Carroll about that too. He said tempo was a big factor. And he said that they showed them some things that they hadn't shown previously on film. So they were kind of able to get their defense on its heels a little bit. But... I would like to see that be the template going forward, um, that this is a run-first, run-heavy team, and you you do that, you establish that, and then your play-action and bootleg game comes off of that. Did the yes. did the offense change, though, because of the quarterback change? Is it that simple, or was it kind of, did they go over the first few games and be like, okay, this isn't working, we're going to flip the script no matter who's at quarterback, or how much did that have to do with Jordan McLeod being the guy? I don't, you know, I never asked that question directly. Um, so I don't really know for sure what the answer to that is. I mean, I think that um, there are certain plays that Jordan McLeod can execute that maybe the other guys can't. And maybe there are certain plays that the other guys can execute that Jordan McLeod can't. Like, I think his mobility is a little bit better than I thought. 
uh, based on what I had seen in training camp. And they had a few, you know, design quarterback runs in there, a little bit more um, RPO game. Um, he does not have like a cannon for an arm. So I don't think you're going to see a ton of deep passes out of them with him in there, which is okay. I mean, you can kind of work your way around that. Um, I mean, I think that it was more a product of self-review. Like, what we're doing is not the way that we want to play. Um, and Jedfish said, like, I would rather be have a, a ratio more like the Oregon game than what they had in the first three games. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you in that approach, uh, Michael. I guess my question for you is, is Jordan McLeod necessarily the better at executing that offense, or is it just the difference of him seeing third and four versus third and 10 all the time after you have incomplete passes or, or you know, second and long and third and long? And is that just a, a matter of game plan and scheme snowballing in the negative direction or staying ahead of the chains? It's a great question again. Um and, you know, you look at that Oregon game and you're like, why were they able to move the ball so much better? Was it Jordan McLeod or was it the game plan and the execution up front? It's probably a combination of the two. Um, if they had run the ball as well as they did against Oregon when they faced NAU, A, they would have won that game. And B, I don't know if we would have had a quarterback change because Will Plummer would have been the winning quarterback, you know? Um so, you know, it's it's sort of impossible to say in hindsight um, exactly um, how that all would have worked. Um, but, I mean, I think that if you're going to, like, put, put it um, put percentages on it, 60% I would put on the running game, the offensive line, and creating those third and manageable situations, and maybe 40% on the dynamic that Jordan McLeod brings with his mobility his experience, his savvy, and just the way that his teammates seem to respond to him. I think I think that's a. I like the math you're adding in there, Michael. Um, Did that, that, a, up to, that added up to 100, right? 60 and 40? I'm not a math major. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess to kind of flip that question on its head, if you took, and this is more a maybe a hot take kind of question for you, if you had Gunnar Cruz in there with that game plan and he's facing a lot of third and fours, does he put up a similar, uh, you know, move in the chains performance, but maybe even with fewer interceptions? Conversely, if Gunnar Cruz had thrown five interceptions and everything else was the same, would they be calling for his head in Tucson as the starter? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like the quick decisions were Gunnar, that was Gunnar's biggest problem. You know, that he wasn't able to make those snap judgments, if you will. I mean, they converted... Um, Seven of 15 third downs in that game. Uh, they were four for four on fourth down. One of those third downs, I think, was a third and 13. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. That that to me like felt like uh, a miracle. You know, when they just had a, just like a regular passing play that they converted on third and 13. It was kind of a slant pattern looking thing. Um, looking through the, the list here... Um, they of the ones that Jordan McLeod himself was directly involved in, not a handoff. There was a third and four that he gained as a rusher. There was a yeah, third and four that he passed to Jalen John. Third and two, he was a rusher. Third and one, he was a rusher. Um, 
fourth and two was a pass to Barry Hill. Uh, fourth and five was a pass to Barry Hill. Fourth and three was a pass to Anderson. And fourth and one was a rush. I think I want to say about three of those were quarterback sneaks. One of them was a design quarterback run. Um, so he was very involved in his decision making. While maybe it wasn't amazing overall because of the interceptions, I think in those situations, he did what he was supposed to do. Made the right read, got rid of the ball, executed the play, and was able to keep those drives alive. I couldn't help but notice in all of those conversions you listed, I don't think there was one that was more than five yards to go, which maybe answers my question of is it just the staying ahead of the chains question? Right, yeah, except for the yeah, the third and 13 was was the exception. You know, that right. was that uh, that was a pass to Curry. Um, but all of the others, yeah, they were they were in that manageable territory, which is obviously that's what you want. And and you wonder too how much of that happened because of Jordan McLeod, right? Because we saw Gunnar Cruz be the quarterback, and they didn't have the running game like they did in this game. We've seen Will Plummer be the quarterback. We obviously didn't have the running game like we saw them have against Oregon. He is a different type of passer. He has experience, which doesn't help to explain the five interceptions because a lot of them were just bad decisions that you don't expect out of him. But does his game translate to a different type of offense, one that might be more conducive to the talent on this roster, right? Like it's Gunnar Cruz is the pocket passer, the big arm, and maybe they don't have the line to get those passes off. They don't have the receivers to get down the field necessarily. But with Jordan McLeod, what his skill set does or what he can do fits better to what this roster around him is capable of. Well, I would say if you're comparing him to Gunnar Cruz, I would say yes. I think Gunnar's one bad habit of hanging on to the ball is a is a bad is bad in tandem with the offensive line that they have. Right? I think like skill set wise, I mean, I think Will Plummer and Jordan McLeod are fairly similar. I mean, what's the difference between the two is experience, you know? Um, but you make a good point. I think I think it was Brad, who made the point earlier, like Will Plummer threw two interceptions and maybe you, you factor in the quality of competition. But I mean, everyone was pretty much like done with him. Right. I mean, and Jordan McLeod threw five and everyone's like, hey, he's he's the best <laughs> option that Arizona has. You know, I think part of that, of course, is that they just moved the ball better. Right. I mean, I've documented this. They had six drives of 10 plus plays which is the most they've had this season, the most they've had during the losing streak. Three of those drives were 70 or more yards. So they were moving the ball up and down the field. They didn't finish. That's been a huge problem for them. They are in the bottom 10 in the country in red zone scoring and red zone touchdown percentage. Um, I believe that UCLA's red zone touchdown percentage is equal to or slightly better than Arizona's red zone scoring percentage overall, <laughs> like right, both around 60. Yeah, see, yeah, both around 64%. So, I mean, that's it. That's been a huge issue. I don't really have a good explanation for that one either, other than bad quarterback decisions. Maybe it's the lack of, you know, lack of that like six foot five wide receiver who, you, you know, you can kind of throw a fade pattern to or you kind of using a post up type situation um or maybe it's the lack of a big back that you can rely on to, to pound the ball in there they've been so bad in the red zone for so long though that i, I don't know if you can really pin it on one thing so we're joined by michael love the arizona daily star here on wildcat radio 2.0 and kind of looking forward now because jordan mcleod is the guy for now the offense that we saw against oregon 
if they play like that against UCLA, if they play like that against Washington, like the rest of their schedule, you feel pretty decent about their chances to win some games. But of course, is a team that two weeks ago was coming off a loss to NAU. So it's like before you get too high, like when you say get too high, it's like everybody's excited about Jordan McLeod. He threw five interceptions. Everybody's excited about a competitive game. Oregon. Well, they lost that game, right? So as we look at the Wildcats going forward into the last two-thirds of this season, is there reason to believe that, hey, they've found something in that Oregon game with Jordan McLeod and with a style of offense or a game plan that can lead to more success than we saw previously? I mean, I think that it's a few things. One is, you know, better quarterback play. And it's, frankly, the jury's still out how much better it's going to be. He's got to cut down or cut down or eliminate altogether um, those interceptions. I mean, those are absolute killers. Two in the red zone, uh, one a pick six. The one at the very end, that's kind of whatever. Um, the one at the start of the game, the screen pass, you know, you'd like to see better execution in that situation. I don't know if I love that call on the first play of the game because um, you're kind of hyped up and it's a finesse type of throw. So that's one thing. I think the second thing is, as you asked earlier, like is the same offensive line that played against Oregon show up the rest of the season? That makes everything so much easier and so much better offensively. Um, if you can run the ball, it takes pressure off the quarterback. Um, as Brennan Carroll pointed out today, even though it doesn't totally make sense, like the better you run the ball, like the better your pass protection becomes because you don't get into those situations third and long all the time where the defense knows what you're going to do and they can pin their airs back. The other thing we haven't talked about this side of the ball at all yet is defensively, they've been pretty good, right? At least by Arizona standards. Um, you know, Don Brown asked rhetorically today, I think it was rhetorical. I'm not sure if he was asking me or not, but he was like, <laughs> do, you know, do you think we could be two and two right now? And I said, yes, they very, very easily, based on the way the defense has played in the BYU and NAU games, could be two and two. You could even make a case, even though Oregon scored 41 points, that the defense wasn't that bad in that game either. You know, when you when you turn the ball over five times, I mean, that's that's a really difficult hill to climb. They were within five early in the fourth quarter. Oregon had only 24 points at that point. Um, so I think better quarterback play, better offensive line play, and basically the defense kind of holding serve is a formula for a couple of wins over the final eight games. Well, I don't know. I don't know what would make anyone happy. Like I think winning one of the next two and then maybe throw a random one in there in the middle and then beating ASU. I think if if that's how the season played out, that most Arizona fans would feel like, okay, right? Like maybe things are trending in the right direction. Well, and kind of related that to that going into this UCLA game, you know, talk some sense into me, Michael, because, you know, this is a team that lost to NAU a couple of weeks ago and UCLA at home coming off a bye week, you know, maybe some guys were playing on the offensive line dinged up early in the season and there's not a lot of depth there. You have your quarterback settled. He's getting more reps. You know, does that set this up for a potential trap game for a, a fairly talented UCLA team coming to Tucson, Arizona? Or, or am I crazy? Well, I think there are yes. some factors. You might be crazy. <laughs> you might be crazy. There are some factors that would 
um, push things in that direction. Uh, one is that Arizona has played UCLA tough in recent years, and they've beaten them two times in a row um, in Tucson. Uh, factor number two, they have a coach on their staff in Jimmy Doherty who just came from the UCLA staff. He was there for four years. He knows that roster inside and out. So I think that's, just, you know, that's a little something. I don't, I don't know how if it's like a huge factor, but it's a little factor. He knows their personnel extremely well. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, UCLA's, especially pass defense, really vulnerable. I mean, you guys probably saw saw the ASU game last week or saw highlights. I mean, they were just throwing the ball all over the place. That's not really even ASU's game. And guys are just running wide open. They still have injury issues on the back end of their D. My issue with all of that, though, is like, is this a good matchup for Arizona? Um, I would say deep passing is not the strength of the Arizona offense, right? I mean, we can pretty much, we've reached that conclusion. There have been so few deep ball connections I don't know if they can exploit that weakness. And UCLA offensively, I think, is really good, really dynamic. They've got um, a multifaceted attack with power running game, experienced and mobile quarterback, um, and a really good tight end um, in Dulcich, who might be the best tight end in the country. So that, that's a lot of stuff that you have to, that you have to um, deal with. And, you know, I guess my question is, can the offense break the the magic 20-point barrier in this game? Because I think they're going to have to to win. <laughs> They've been under, right, under 20, right, every game since that Washington game last year. And most of those points came in garbage time. So they've gotten up to 19 a handful of times. I, they're going to have to score more, I think, to beat UCLA. I think they're going to have to get up to – 27 maybe 30 um because i think ucla is going to be scored going to be able to score on them a little bit you know to piggyback off brett maybe being crazy though the last four years you said like arizona split they've won their home games if i remember at least the last three years like they've been competitive with ucla and i don't know the talent gap how great it is and obviously arizona's lost 16 straight games so they're not a very good team and yet last season if Grant Cannell doesn't get hurt in that game on the first play, there's every reason to believe that Arizona could have beat UCLA. The year before, Arizona did beat UCLA with Grant Cannell. And the year before, like, they had Rhett Rodriguez, if I remember right, the year before. And that, yeah, they and they lost by only one yeah. point. Yeah. So is it a situation where, like, obviously UCLA is in, what, year four of the Chip Kelly era. They're further along in whatever rebuild that's going that has been. But is the talent gap maybe not as big as we might think it is based on records because we've seen these teams play on the field and they've been really competitive for many years now. I don't know. And when you look at the recruiting rankings, there should be a pretty big disparity, right? I think UCLA pretty consistently recruits better than Arizona. I don't think Chip Kelly's necessarily known for bringing in a bunch of four and five stars. I mean, they're very picky um, with the talent that they bring in, but I, I don't think that anyone would sit here and tell you that UCLA isn't better one through 85. So, you know, I don't know how you account for the fact that those games have been so close given, given that, and given like all the issues Arizona's had um, over that span, which, which are a lot. Um, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes just conference play 
Uh, and you see this all across the country with certain certain matchups. It's just kind of always close, you know. And I don't know if, if there's any sort of empirical data that you can cite or any a way to quantify that. It's just it's just one of those. There's just a certain energy, I think, that comes into play when you're talking about conference play and conference rivals and um i think sometimes you can feel it like as soon as the as soon as the game kicks off you just kind of like you know you know like this is going to go different than expected or the underdog is going to be in it and for that to happen this week um would be a pretty big story because the point spread i think is 16 mm -hmm. um which is a lot and that doesn't speak to what we were talking about, you know, a, a matchup that's been pretty close and pretty competitive um, over the last several seasons. But this is a confident Arizona team, I assume, because that was the big concern, especially after NAU, that maybe they would kind of start tuning the coaching staff out or whatever it is. You haven't gotten that impression. This is a team that's going into this game thinking it very well could win. I think that Jed Fish has done a great job of keeping morale up. Um, I think very much still believe in what the coaching staff is preaching. The buy-in is considerable. Um, and I don't, even after, I'm mean, obviously NAU was brutal, um, stunning, um, nothing that anyone expected to happen, but the proof is in the pudding. I mean, they went down, what, 10 to nothing, like right away against Oregon. It would have been really easy for that game to go completely off the rails. We've seen that horror movie before, in the, especially in the Pacific Northwest, right, against Washington State, Washington, Oregon. I mean, those games just getting out of control. I think they gave up, I want to say, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I think they gave up 50 points in the first half against Washington State. Brett was, years ago. I was, yeah. right? I'm pretty sure I was at that game. Oh. It was painful. <laughs> so, I mean, you could, that, that easily could have happened. And the fact that it didn't shows me that their headspace is, is sound. Yeah. I think, um, I think your point is well taken, Michael, where you say that sometimes in conference play, you can feel that like energy, even in the stadium where the underdog has a chance. And I think that a common thing uh, in those kind of games is usually when there's some big plays on the defensive side. And you've talked a bit about UCLA has a multifaceted offense. They have a pretty strong power running game, a tight end, which Arizona always defends wonderfully well on defense, historically. <laughs> uh, I use the sarcasm font there very clearly for our for our listeners. Um, I guess my question for you is, is this a game where we maybe see the Don Brown defense uh, maximize its disruption a little bit? I think you said fairly uh, accurately they've held serve pretty well most games this season but i don't know like adam and i have talked about i'm not sure they've quite been as disruptive as they could be um in terms of sacks forcing turnovers you know the the safeties notwithstanding there hasn't been a lot of forced turnovers and those are the kind of things in my mind is is how you pull off those kind of upsets um especially at home um, is that something you see happening? And if you're Don Brown and you're approaching this game, how are you trying to scheme around the UCLA offense? Yeah, I agree with you. First of all, I don't think they're, they've been as disruptive as they could be. I mean, safeties really should count as takeaways. Um, it's almost better than a takeaway in, in a sense, because 
you get points and you get the ball. Um, so that should kind of count in, in, on their, in their favor, but, um, they're going to, I don't know how aggressive they're going to be against UCLA because there's a lot of concern about Dorian Thompson Robinson running the ball. He had 96 yards on the ground against ASU. There's a lot of talk from Don Brown today about, you know, don't get behind the quarterback with your pass rush. So I think they're going to pick their spots. Um, I think they're going to try to stay disciplined, stay under control um, when they're rushing. Um, and I think the ideal situation, like we were talking about earlier with Arizona's offense, getting them into those third and long situations where they have to pass, you know, um, and that's easier said than done because they run the ball really well. And I would say that, you know, in general, that's been the area of Arizona's defense that's been a little weaker. Um, the run defense, has, it's been okay, not amazing. Oregon had some, they had some big runs. It was all kind of right up the gut. Um, even NAU toward the end of that game was able to kind of run the ball, keep the ball, extend some drives. I mean, it's hard to argue when I think they gave up, what, 260 yards total in that game and only two touchdowns. That's about what I would have expected. That should have been good enough to win. Um, my priority, if, if I were them coming into this game, and it's probably the case in a lot of matchups, stop the run first, you know, and then then and then deal with Dorian Thompson Robinson, whatever he uh, he throws at them. Makes sense, and hopefully they can do that, Mike. Before we let you go, we know Arizona baseball had a little bit going on this past weekend. I think the biggest thing to come out that was the Red Hats with a gray and red uniform, right? I know you've been a uniform guy, too. You had Arizona with the blue tops this weekend for their whiteout, and you had Arizona baseball with the red hats. But I know it's just like an exhibition. It was, I think, what, what Chip Hill said was like they only had like two practices together or something. And I understand, like, baseball's not exactly the team sport where you can't, you know, you can't field a ball or you can't swing a bat without having practice with your teammates. But also it's a very new team with a new you coach just what were your early impressions or can you even have early impressions at this point in the off season? Yeah. I mean, I had a few. Um, I mean, the one thing that people have to consider is that they, there are probably 10 to 12, what I would call core players who did not play in that game for a variety of reasons. Like most of their top pitchers did pitch and several of their mainstays um, in the field did not play because of minor in the latter because of minor injuries. I think the pitchers had worked in a um, some sort of a scrimmage the, the previous day. Um, so, you know, expectations were low from Chip Hale's end. Uh, they were unfortunately met. Um, they've got a long way to go, but I think the nucleus is really good. Um, they bring back five pitchers with starting experience uh, with Arizona uh, on this level, which um, is huge. I don't think they've had that since, at least since I've been covering the team, they haven't had that many guys. Um, they've got some, a few um, players on offense who have like tremendous upside, huge potential. Daniel Susak, Chase Davis, Tony Bullard. I mean, these are all guys who can hit the ball 450 feet, you know, toolsy guys. Um, Susak could be a top 10 or even top five pick in next year's draft. He's that good. 
and plays a premium position. Chase Davis wasn't even supposed to be here. He was considered such a good prospect, but it was that weird draft year, you know, the shortened draft, and he, he snuck through, and he's here now, and he's going to be a thing playing either right field or center field. And we all saw what Tony Bullard was able to do in the postseason. I mean, it felt like he was hitting home run every other at bat. So, you know, there will be an adjustment period um, with the new coach, some, some new systems, changing the pitching coach, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that they've got a real shot to make another run in the postseason. They have to, have to stay healthy, of course. Um, and I, I think that the best thing that could happen for Chip Hale and his recruiting efforts, and he's new to the college game and new to recruiting, is to have another really good season. You know, maybe reach the College World Series again, get on TV. That exposure from 2016 helped Jay Johnson recruit a lot of the guys that we're seeing now. And I think something like that could be a springboard um, for this new regime. Yeah, in terms of Chip Hale, I know it's early and you haven't gotten necessarily a lot of time interacting with him, but you have a, do you have any kind of an early read on how the team is buying into what Chip Hale is selling uh, on the guys that are currently on the roster? I think uh, so far so good. Um, you know, Daniel Susak, we talked him after the, the uh, exhibition game the other day, and he mentioned how um, he likes that Chip participates. Like he, like, he shows up at the 6 a.m. weightlifting, and he actually lifts weights himself, too. They put out a video today. He's hitting grounders, you know. Um, look, his swing looked very good, you know. Like, <laughs> he looked like he was um, in his prime still, the way he was able to swing the bat. Um, he's very... Um, he's very enthusiastic. He loves his place. Um, I think that that is contagious. I also think just the fact that if you're still here, you're buying in, right? The guys who didn't buy in, they left. They had a chance to leave and they left. And a lot of guys decided to come back. Um, it might be because they love Arizona and just have always wanted to be Wildcats. And it might be because, hey, I, I like what Chip Hale and this new coaching staff are preaching to us. There you go. Michael Lev, before we let you go for real, what do you got coming down the pipeline? What should Wildcat Radio 2.0 listeners be looking for from you and the Arizona Daily Star? Yeah, my latest piece, uh, we got to talk to Jordan McLeod. So really got in depth with him on the, the interceptions, his path from, you know, transfer third string to uh, starting opportunity. Um, we'll have all our usual coverage leading up to the UCLA game. Um, we'll have our cat stats feature. I got to come up with an idea for that. Uh, workshop it uh, tonight and, and come up with something. I think might do. Might look at multiple stats in that one. I, 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 have, I have a few ideas. I'll bat those around. Um, and then, yeah, all our like wall-to-wall coverage that we have every weekend. Uh, we'll have a report card. I'll, I'll rewatch the game on Sunday give my takeaways, and then we'll be on to the next one. All right. We look forward to reading all that. Michael Lev, Arizona Daily Star. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael J. Lev. Mike, we appreciate the time on Wildcat Radio Bueno. Thanks, fellas. All right. That's Michael Lev. When we come back, we're going to talk about that UCLA game and give our final thoughts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back. Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks again to Mike Love, the Arizona Daily Star. Love having him on the show to break down Arizona football and baseball now that that's kind of getting back into the swing of things because... Football, Brett, like we talked about, it's so interesting right now because two weeks ago they're coming off a loss to NAU and you feel just down in the dumps with them, like they can't beat anyone. Then a week ago they're coming off a, a loss, but a competitive loss to Oregon in which their quarterback threw five interceptions and solidified himself as the starting quarterback, as QB1 for this team. And yet going into UCLA, yeah, they're 16-point underdogs right now as we record, as Michael mentioned, but it doesn't feel like they're for sure that much worse or that unlikely to beat UCLA. Yeah. Part, you know, I asked Michael Levin because part of me is trying to beat down that weird sense of like, maybe this is that time where the, the Arizona teams, even in their bad years would pull off the upset at home against a decent team, even a ranked team. Um, And, you know, it's, Arizona has performed, uh, uh, you know, San Diego State and uh, NAU, obviously, uh, notwithstanding, they've beaten the spread against the better teams. So they played up to their competition, if that if that is such a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm curious to see what a week does for this team. Not only that, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Michael Lev mentioned his he just had a story posted with. Jordan McLeod, but in part of that, they talk about how, yes, Donovan Lay and Jordan Morgan were playing through lower leg injuries. It was kind of like talked, rumored, but not necessarily confirmed. Mm-hmm. And if those guys have, you know, a week to get healthier, Jordan McLeod gets more reps. They have more chance to game plan for for UCLA. You know, it, a couple breaks would have to go Arizona's way. Um, but you know, maybe maybe this is that weird that weird uh you know conference rivalry game where they can pull that upset. Yeah, and it's <laughs> – I mean, I'm sure for AZ Desert Summer, I have to do a prediction for this game, and I'm not going to predict Arizona winning because even until they win a game, I'm not going to predict them to win a game. I can't. Not after NAU. Even when they go to – I mean, I say that. Watch me predict them to beat Colorado. But, yeah, when you look at just the way Arizona had played, when you look at what UCLA is, it's <laughs> – with the bye week, like, all the things could have been like, hey, those minor injuries, they're rested more ingrained in the system, like they understand it better. You have a quarterback who you believe in, and the biggest issue you could argue was just his unfamiliarity with the offense. Now, I think his biggest issue is arm strength or lack of, but you can game plan around that in a lot of ways, and with this extra time to do so, to devise that game plan and to practice that game plan, they're well-positioned to give a really good effort in this one. You know, like there's, as far as excuses go, like, I don't know if you need to have excuses when you're 16-point underdogs, when you're more than two touchdown dogs, but going into this game, they should be in as good a position to win and to pull off an upset as they have in a long time. And it helps because the team they're playing is not necessarily a great team and is coming off a tough loss where their coach is on the hot seat and their dreams of winning the Pac-12 South might have been dashed last week. Like We don't know how UCLA is going to respond to their loss to ASU. Now facing Arizona, who they're probably going to think, yeah, that's a team we can beat. Are they going to be as focused as they should be against an Arizona team who's at home, coming off a bye, confident in their quarterback with a game plan to accentuate his skills? Like, we'll see. I mean, to, to that point, 
if you follow the Oregon game plan uh, in terms of clock control on offense, move the chains, run the ball, you know, just maybe don't throw five interceptions. Um, yeah, that would little, help. Little, little adjustment to the game plan there. <laughs> um, you know, if you do that, the, the, the thing, that game plan and that approach of eating the clock and controlling the clock for most of that game was very successful and was working. And it was keeping, you know, Arizona's defense off the field where they, you know, could limit the big plays of uh, a relatively explosive uh, Oregon offense with a lot of athletes, which I think is very analogous to UCLA's offense. Um, and I, you know, I think Lev is spot on where for UCLA, if you can stop the run in that scenario and make DTR try to beat you with the pass, you know, maybe that's where you can be for some disruptions. Of course, I have nightmares of uh, going against a top tight end with Arizona's defense, but there's the, there's a path to success there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'll go so far as to have the hot take and call the win. I'm mildly tempted to. But my soul is 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 dead from two years of of losses. Well, offensively, I the game plan, and that's what Lev, what he said was really interesting to me was how they didn't necessarily change their approach because of the quarterback. That they just decided what they had been doing before wasn't working, which I found really interesting. Um, if that's the case, now will it work against everyone? Like I looked in that game, and you think if it could work against Oregon, who has a pretty good defense, why shouldn't it work against UCLA, who also has a decent defense, but that defense just got shredded. You know, the run and the pass by ASU. Uh, defensively, what worries me, of course, is just that running game and mostly DTR running. I just have images of Arizona looking like they're going to have a pass rush and looking like they're going to bring him down, and he squirts out and picks up 15, 20, 25 yards. He is that type of quarterback. Arizona used to have a quarterback like that. You know, it's a lot of fun when it happens for you. When you're like, oh, they, you, you think you got him. No, no, he just picked up 20 yards or he's gone. You know, that's fun to watch when it's your quarterback. But I just picture that and the idea that, too, that Arizona has been coached to don't get behind him, keep him in front of you, which is designed to try to keep him in the pocket make him be a passer. Way, way easier said than done. I imagine Arizona's not the first team to have that type of game plan against DTR. But then again, Arizona's defense, if they can somehow execute that and be do it well, do it most of the time, then they have to deal with the tight ends. They have to deal with the skill position guys. They have to deal with a good running game, too. Like, UCLA has a talented team. But there's something that the talent has never been the issue with them. At least it doesn't seem to have been the issue with them the last handful of years. There's something off about UCLA as a program, and I am curious that maybe coming off a loss to ASU, in which they just got blasted at home, like thoroughly dominated in the second half of that game, what their mindset's going to be. And if it's slightly, if it's not where it should be, then Arizona's in prime position to jump out. Like a fast start would be great. I think Arizona had one good start, and that was against NAU, and it wasn't nearly as good as it should have been. But if Arizona comes out, and offensively especially, defensively they've had good starts. Offensively, if they can come out in this game, and whether they're getting the ball first or they're responding to something you said, but whatever it is, if they can go down the field and show that the offense that they designed against Oregon and now Jordan McLeod with more time in it is effective, then you'll feel a lot better at this because they've just been playing from behind pretty much the entire season. Three of the four games they've been playing from behind, substantially behind, if they could have a game where they're just in it, you know, they're within a possession, a score the entire way, let's see what that does. And this is a game where I'm not picking them to win. I, I don't, we're not going to do predictions anymore. After NAU and San Diego State, I don't think <laughs> anyone cares about our predictions. I don't care about my predictions. But like, this is a type of game where, yes, if you want to talk yourself into Arizona having a chance as a 16-point dog, this is a good one to do because, yeah, I could talk myself into it. Yeah, I think when you mentioned uh, 
you know, DTR is a running quarterback and how fun it was when Arizona had that. And talking about getting off to a fast start, I kind of hear my, I'm th- sitting here thinking to myself, I, I really kind of want to see Arizona on defense throw a punch to try to get that fast start and try to get, a, you know, an early turnover I, or I'm pretty, I'm pretty good sure field wasn't, position. It UC, wasn't it UCLA that eventually is the one that figured out to the way to control was to just send the house a lot early. I think it was often. Washington. It was, oh, that, no, it was right. yeah, it was a game Love yeah. mentioned, like after the Colorado game where Arizona was up at halftime against Washington, and then they're like, "We're just gonna blitz everybody, and good luck." And and if you do that in a controlled chaos way, you can also end up accidentally controlling the run as long as you don't completely pin your ears back and you know get behind the quarterback, as Lev mentioned. Um, but, you know, if they're going to be in this game, I think Arizona's defense has to have some disruptive plays. I think they yeah. have to force some turnovers. Drink. I think That's going to be the new drinking game. It's not depth tonight. <laughs> it's disruptive plays. There we go. Well, I can't talk about depth when there is none currently on the <laughs> on the roster, Adam. <laughs> or at least not that's not ready to play quite yet with a lot of the, the young guys. Um, but, you know, if there's, a, if there's an opportunity... There's an opportunity here, I think, for the coming out party of a Don Brown defense to get to get disruptive, to be controlled chaos. You know, I kind of wonder if he's not maybe gaming the system a little bit with the comment of we don't want to be too aggressive against DTR. You don't want to get behind a mobile quarterback. No, I, I think against... that's just being the. I think that's being honest because that's a recipe for disaster. Getting behind him well, too much, losing your sure, gap, contain, and all that. Like, nah, no. I'm re- well, no. I'm reminded of the BYU game when he said we're going to be coming over the walls, and then the blitzes were there, but they were like delayed blitzes and like run blitzes and they were fairly controlled um you know i don't know what it's going to look like if if i were them i might try to you know be the one that throws some punches on defense is, is i guess where i'm coming down to if you can, and then it's try great. to and then try to be ball control on offense and that that to me is the path to to success yeah but i i i don't know if i can call the win i i want to but i i, I won't i just I, Arizona, just, I think Arizona loses again. I'm not going to give a score, but like, but that's where they're at. And it's amazing that they are 0-4 this season. One of those losses was to NAU, and we have some optimism. And maybe that's just the beauty of having a first-year head coach who you still believe in. But that's where the team is at. And as Lev said, the team is still fully bought in. They haven't quit on this season. And this is a – it's their next chance to end the losing streak, right? It's been a full two calendar years. It's at 16. Like This is the next best chance to end losing streak. And from that game, if they lose, then the next game is. And that's where Arizona is at. And the fact that we're not giving up on them and that they're not giving up on themselves, I think, speaks volumes to where the program is at. It's not it's not a great place, but it's been in a worse place. And I think that's where we leave it. Hopefully, Arizona ends the losing streak this weekend. That'd be nice. <laughs> that would be really, really nice. I know, Brett, you and I are both going to be down at the game in Tucson. So if you listen to the Wildcat Radio 2.0 and you hear that, tweet at us. Come find us. Say hi. You know, we'd we'd love to meet our fans. I think if you're still listening at this point and you like us, I assume. So yeah, let us know. We'll love to say hi to our listeners. Come, come say hi and read your review in person of our podcast <laughs> <laughs> to our face. Say so, yeah, as we finish up here, yeah, definitely make sure you are subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, all those places. You podcast find Wildcat Radio 2.0, and of course on iTunes. Leave a review for us. Rate us and review us. If you leave us a review, we will read that review on the air when we see it. Brett, any reviews this week? I checked earlier. There are no new reviews, unfortunately. No new reviews. Well, everyone, listen, leave that review for us. If you want to be mentioned, we will read your name. 
attached to the review, good or bad, though, we will read that review. Otherwise, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. But for Brett, I'm Adam. We'll catch you all next week. Remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>